Hello, good people. Welcome to the Chris Stefanik Show, the show that helps you find the joy that God made you for in the midst of everyday life. Don't miss us every week as we dive into real issues with real people and answer real questions. God bless you. What is up, you guys? It's a blessing to have you with me tonight. We're going to dive into the topic of fear. So many of us live under too much fear, especially today. We're afraid of germs. We're afraid of conversations that are difficult. We're afraid of each other. We're afraid of getting canceled, and God doesn't want us to live this way. Thanks for being with me. Before we jump into today's topic, I want to give you the freedom to bust into my flow at any time today to interrupt the conversation that I'm having with myself. (laughs) There's no other guest today. Actually, I gave a little Facebook Live video before this. Follow me on Facebook, by the way, where I said, my guest today is a person I think about more than any other, myself, right? (laughs) That's a funny saying. I'm not much, but I'm all I ever think of. So uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's something I'm trying to work on, Lord. Help me to be holier. But because it's just me, I'm not going to be lost and engrossed in a conversation with a guest, so this is a great time to ask your questions. Text them to 720-650-0100. You can ask questions about anything at all or about the topic we're going to cover today, which is about how to overcome fear. God wants you to live without fear. Before I dive into the topic of today, I want to answer a question that I know some of you are going to have. Chris, what do you think about the Cordelione-Pelosi thing? And actually, I'm going to uh, play this question that Whoopi Goldberg had for us today. Actually, it was just given on The View and had nothing to do with my show, but here it is. Okay. Welcome to The View, y'all. Listen carefully. The battle is starting to blur the lines between church and state. The Archbishop of San Francisco mm, is calling for Speaker Nancy Pelosi to be denied receiving communion because of her pro-choice stance. He's one of the priests who also called for President Biden to be denied sacrament. This is not your job, dude. That is not, you can't, that is not up to you to make that decision. Okay, so let me just stop right there. Whoopi, with all due respect, and I mean that, I loved you in Sister Act. It's been a while, but I loved you in that movie. Um, It is literally his job. It's not your job, dude. Okay. 1 Timothy 6.20 would disagree with you on this. St. Paul giving advice to his fellow uh, Bishop Timothy. Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Guard the deposit of faith that was entrusted to you. The job. It's in the job description of people who are bishops, who are priests, not just to teach the faith, not just to welcome everyone into the faith, but as part of that teaching to guard the deposit of faith. This is why we make someone go through a process where they prepare for sacraments. We don't just baptize someone when they walk in the door and say, I want the sacrament of baptism. If someone sat down in a confessional and said, Father, I'm not sorry for my sins, that priest would say, I'm withholding this sacrament. Is that unloving? No. It's saying, let's look at the truth, the reality here. I don't want to mislead you into thinking you have a union with God that you don't currently have. When people are about to get married, the church has a a required six months. We don't just say, hey, come on in the door. We're going to join you in holy matrimony right now. We're going to make sure you're ready for it. Why? That's not being cruel. It's not being mean. It's guarding the grace of the sacraments for the good of those who receive these sacraments. All right, so some people might say this is the church being political. Guys, this is the church being pastoral. And as Whoopi said, and as many people might look at the news and say, you know, they're they're violating the separation of church and state. Um, Guys, it would be a violation of the separation of church and state if a pastor was not allowed, was not allowed to guard the sacraments, and was not allowed to 
to call a spade a spade with someone just because they're a politician, as if being a politician would make this person immune. That would violate the separation of church and state. So I think that what Corleone did this week was, was not cruel, was not mean. It was doing his job, and it was being pastoral. It was being pastoral. With all due respect to, to priests and bishops who, who might be watching who disagree with my take on this, I, I know the guy's motive was not just to wade into politics. Frankly, if it was, and if he wanted to just be noticed, he'd have probably done this a long time ago. This came at the, end, at the tail end of years of conversations and efforts between, that I've watched from the outside between Cordelloni and, and, and uh, Pelosi that culminated in this. He could have just done this right away. So anyway, uh, let's dive into the topic of the day. Fear. Guys, we're, we're crippled by fear right now. We've never been more afraid. We're afraid of germs. We're afraid of, of posting something online because, God forbid, we post the wrong thing. We say it the wrong way. We're canceled. Game over. Uh, we're afraid of, of our relationships with other people. We're afraid of, of, of people of different political parties, of different opinions than us. We're, we've become so afraid of each other, and I think the devil's having a field day with this because he wants us to fear each other. And God definitely doesn't want us to live this way. Man's first words to God, by the way, this is not a new problem, the fear problem. The first words that mankind spoke to God, and I want you to put yourself in the Garden of Eden with me here. Think of all the beauty and everything that, that, that God blessed us with. Our first words, it was words expressing fear. I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Wow. The fear problem has plagued us for a very long time, hasn't it? And I or really do think it's gotten worse than ever. Uh, I know a woman who was a counselor at Columbine High School, and she counseled the kids that survived the shooting. And she's still a counselor at Columbine High School all these years later. She said that kids today are far more, not just a little bit, way more afraid and, and, uh, and falling into anxiety than they were when she was counseling them after the, she li- they lived the shooting. Let that sink in for a minute. This is the average kid she's talking about. We're all literally losing our minds in fear. And Jesus said, be not afraid. And he said this more than pretty much any phrase that he said throughout the New Testament. It's a command that speaks back to our first, that answers our first words to God. Jesus' command, be not afraid. Now, did he tell us to not be afraid? And to just have faith because everything's going to work out okay? Did Jesus command us to not be afraid because he's got this? And everything you might be afraid of when it comes to your need, when it comes to the pain you might face, when it comes to fear of abandonment, when it comes to fear of death, that everything's going to work out okay in this life? Is that why he said, be not afraid? No. Look, if someone tells you that that's why we shouldn't be afraid— and your faith tells you that God's going to make everything work out great for you so you have no cause for fear in the natural, that person's probably trying to sell you something. All right, I'm not trying to sell you something here. I'm just trying to give you truth. This is uh, from Mark uh, 38. I'm sorry, Mark 4. <laughs> I just added chapters to Mark. Mark 4, 38. All right, Jesus is in a boat with his apostles. There's a great storm, and he's taking a nap during the storm. I love this. He wasn't, he wasn't afraid. They all started absolutely flipping out. So he, he woke, he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're dying? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said, Peace, be still. 
Whew, man, it gave me chills. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Now, here's the funny thing, guys. We hear Jesus say not to be afraid in, in, in stories like this, and we often insert endings that aren't there. Have you no faith? Hard stop right there. He didn't say, have you no faith that you would never die in a storm? Have you no faith that you wouldn't get cancer? Don't you have faith that everything would be fine in your financial life? Don't you have faith that your daughter would not get MS? Don't you have faith that nothing bad would happen to you? He didn't say that. We insert phrases like that. And someone actually uh, texted me in this question, how can I believe that love is real, that God is real, when I've lived through betrayal after betrayal? And look, I've seen people have this expectation from God. Have you no faith that you'd never be betrayed? He never said that. My friend, he never said those words. So we start to lose faith when we insert words into Scripture that Jesus never said. We insert promises that he never spoke. We put these words in his mouth. Then he didn't deliver on things he never said to us. So we want to throw out the whole thing. I put my quarter in. The whole reason I have the faith, where's the gumball? The gumball of the, uh, of the guarantee that nothing will go wrong for me? That's not part of the deal, guys. Another great example of this, John chapter 20. After Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to the apostles where they were hiding in the upper room for fear of the Jews. Now, they, this is not anti-Semitic. They were Jewish, okay? <laughs> what this means, they were afraid of the people who had killed Jesus. They were afraid the same thing would happen to them. He appeared to them, and he didn't say, guys, don't worry, they're not going to kill you too. He didn't say that. I can almost you know, put myself in the scene. Lord, what if they kill us? <laughs> if? <laughs> you mean, when? Because they're going to kill you. And the funny thing is, after they went out into the world, the very thing they were fearing happened. They were all killed. Isn't that ironical? I just made that word up. It's ironic. He didn't tell them, don't, don't, don't worry, nothing's going to happen. He said, peace be with you. And he gave them something better than a false promise of everything being okay in this life. Sacred Scripture tells us he breathed on them. He breathed on them. And this is God's answer to fear. It's his presence. And because they had his presence, they rushed off into a world that had killed Jesus and eventually killed them, a world that fully rejected them. And they rushed into that world with so much joy that I think this is the only <laughs> foundation of any faith where the world's response to the first messengers of that faith is, are they drunk? Uh, great question. How do we move on after living in fear with COVID? Okay, this is the answer, guys. This is the answer, whether it's COVID, whether it's other people, whether it's job loss or betrayal that you've lived through, he breathed on them. And this is from, from Job. By the way, Job, uh, I, I've heard that Job is the oldest, not the first listed, but oldest book in the Bible because it answers the oldest question of mankind. Why, God? If you're really there, why did bad stuff happen to me? And, and since bad stuff will happen to me, shouldn't I live in constant fear, right? And after the first, you know, 38 37 chapters, Job is complaining to God. Why is all this stuff happening to me? God shows up with the answer. And the amazing thing is he didn't give Job a succinct answer to everything he had been asking. His answer was to ask Job a bunch of questions and basically say, I'm God and you're not. There's a difference between you and God. God never thinks he's you. Job 38 
God starts pegging Job with questions after 37 chapters of questions. Hey, Job, were you there when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. God's like making fun of Job here. Or who stretched the line upon the earth? On what are its bases sunk? It just goes on and on. Who shut the sea with, with its doors when it burst out of the womb? When I made clouds its garment and the thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits and set the dark bar. It just goes on with these questions about the creation of the world. Job, were you there? Hmm? He basically was putting Job in his place, but he was also, this is beautiful, showing up. See, the, the, the answer that Christians get to, Lord, shouldn't I be afraid of all these things, of death, of, of fear, of, of pain, of suffering, is that God shows up in the midst of it. And in Christian faith, he shows up so profoundly that we can never look at our God and say, you have no idea what this is like. Because he does. You have no idea what it's like, Lord, to, to, to die, to be abandoned, to be rejected, to watch your body decay. Because there he is saying, I'm with you. He didn't say, you'll never suffer. He said, when you do, I'm with you. Even when you want to say, God, where are you? He's right there next to you on the cross. Saying, my God, why have you forsaken me? So you would have someone to say it with. God himself is the answer to our fear. Now, someone just asked, is fear ever a good thing? Yeah, there's fear in the natural. There's fear that we can have in a natural level that's actually healthy. And I think Jesus felt some of this fear in the Garden of Gethsemane. He, in the natural... Death was repulsive to him. Because fear in the natural is repulsive, death is repulsive to us in the natural, that's why your kids aren't running across the freeway with scissors in their hands, right? It preserves your life. You evolved to to recoil at pain, at death. But in the deeper levels of your soul, God doesn't want you to be directed by fear. So you could feel the neurological, biological reactions uh, to stimuli and to events of life that cause that feeling of fear. But in the spiritual depths of your soul, the example is Jesus in the garden. He felt that fear in the natural, and then he said, Father, he wasn't in panic. He, he wasn't in terror. Father, not what I will, but what you will. Now, I, I said that God's presence showing up is the answer to fear. <clears throat> Let me tell you, that doesn't go far enough. It really doesn't. See, because what if the God we believe in is Zeus? A lightning bolt-wielding jerk. See, most of of the way people have seen God through history, not only would he alleviate your fear, God would add to your fear. (laughs) God was a mean, supernatural deity watching you that you should be afraid of. And some people still see God this way. Some people who have biblical faith sadly see God this way. Like he's a conditionally loving father who's out to get you, waiting for you to mess up. Well, you should be afraid if that's the case. If he's happy when you go to hell, you should be afraid if that's the case. Christians go further than the, the, the ancient Greeks and Romans. We believe in a God who is love. This is 1 John 4, 7. God is love. And just a few verses later, we get fear mentioned again. The ancient, the primordial feeling of mankind. A few verses later, there is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out all fear. Brothers and sisters, fear and love can't coexist. God, who is love, shows up in the midst of our fear. And this is the antidote for fear. Not just faith in a general God. Surely not faith in what a lot of people replace uh, the word God with universe. 
Guys, if COVID shows you anything, it's that the universe does not care about you. The natural forces of this universe don't care. It's a cold, hard place. God is love. This is the antidote for fear. I'm writing a book about this uh, right now, by the way. Just planted a little seed. Get excited about that. It's coming out sometime in 2023, I think. We're going to do a, an Advent program on that, too. I'm kind of obsessing on this topic of fear. Guys, this is, this is uh, where Christianity diverges from Eastern mysticism and Eastern religions. And I don't mean my Byzantine Catholic friends, right? But, but like Buddhism, for instance, all right? So what is fear? There's an Eastern mystic, uh, Krishnamurti, he asked. He's a, he was a teacher. He's, he said, if we can understand the question and problem of desire, then we will understand and be freed from fear. I want something, that is the root of fear. When I want to be something, my wanting to be something and not being that something creates fear. So long as there is the desire, there must be fear. Now, I mean this with all due respect, and I'm I'm not just saying all due respect. No, I I really profoundly respect people who have other faiths. This is not the Christian answer to fear. The Christian answer to fear is not to do away with desire. Or as the Buddha would say, get rid of everything you think you want. Get rid of everything you think you are. And, And then you won't have any desire. You won't have any fear either. Get rid of your own your own delusion that you even exist, and then you won't have any fear. You won't have any pain either, by the way. Guys, a pile of dust doesn't have fear, nor does it have pain. That doesn't mean I want to be one. And just to share a little, a little paragraph I wrote in this, in this book I'm working on, the central image of Buddhist faith is a man sitting content, eyes closed, forgetful of everything, including his own existence. The central image of Christian faith is a man in agony, dying on the cross, Eyes open, looking outward in love, looking for you. Both men tell us not to be afraid. But one, because you're an illusion anyway. The other, because love wins. God is love and love wins. <laughs> yeah! The answer to fear is God. It's, it's, the end of the story is good, guys. This is the answer to our fear. It doesn't all end in darkness. The end of the story is eternal glory with a God who created you for what heaven is described in the book of Revelation as a wedding banquet. We can overcome fear, not by letting go of desire, but by saying my desire will be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We can look the greatest boogeyman in history in the eye, death, and say, I win. I win. Someone asked, uh, they texted him, what about the fear of the Lord? Now, the fear of the Lord described in sacred scripture is a gift of the Holy Spirit. But this isn't referring to a servile terror, okay? Fear of the Lord in sacred scripture is piety and reverence. So if you, if you look up fear of the Lord and piety in the catechism of the Catholic Church, by the way, mandated reading, all right? Right after you read Christophanic's Living Joy, read the catechism. I'm kidding. First read the catechism, all right? It's beautiful stuff in there summing up the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But Christian fear is not servile. I'm no, the sacred scripture tells us we're no longer a slave to fear. We're, we're, we're children of God. We're not slaves to fear. So piety is not a servile fear. Amen? Amen. Uh, okay, so, so knowing this stuff, with, I just talked about it. You know it, right? The scripture tells us not to be afraid. Jesus says not to be afraid again and again. 
knowing it and actually putting it into practice are two different things. And here's where your intellect and will come into play. You have to call up these scriptures where God steps into your fears in order to conquer those fears. And every time you have, you have thought patterns that obsess on fear, don't get caught in those thought patterns. If, if there's a, I forget which saint said this, was it John Vianney? If there's a bird in a, caught in a net, if he's trying to get out, he's going to get tangled worse and worse. If it just relaxes, right? He just, he just fly away. Sometimes we get tangled in our thought patterns, and our brains are problem-solving computers. They're doing their job when they look into what you might get hurt by and obsess on it and think about it again and again and again and again. What you have to do is direct your thought to something better, and that something better is the Word of God. Uh, one of my heroes of faith is Evagrius of Pontus. I do not recommend naming your child Evagrius of Pontus. <laughs> no, you know what? Go ahead. If you have a kid during this episode, if you're watching in the hospital delivering a child, that child's name is Evagrius of Pontus. Uh, so he was a deacon in the early church, and he found himself falling in love with a woman that he was ministering to, a married woman. And before he became a train wreck, he ran off into the desert and became a monk. Now, in the early church, the people who ran off into the desert and prayed in a monastic life were not running from the problems of their life. They weren't running from the front line and battle with the evil one. They saw that as going to the front line and winning. So Evagrius of Pontus, who, who had his inner demons he was fighting with. Uh, this is obviously not a, not a perfect dude, okay? He's, he's battling with these demons in the desert, and he wrote a book with all the temptations a monk faces and a scripture answering each temptation. Now, much like not recommending the name, I don't necessarily recommend this book because a lot of it's very specific to the monastic life in the 400s. But check this out, guys. He, he called this book answering, te- not, 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 just, not, just, not just natural temptations, but he saw this as, as winning spiritual battles. He called it talking back. How cool is that? We let the devil punk us around, and God gave us his word so we learn how to talk back. We're being called to answer back. And this is the pattern Jesus sets for us in Luke chapter 4 when he's tempted by the devil in the wilderness. And he answers every temptation back with sacred scripture. One of my dear friends, uh, Dom Rosso. Dom, I hope you're watching, man. Dom's a hero of mine. And by the way, I recommend having friends who you also consider heroes and look up to. Uh, Dom was a member of SEAL Team 6. So there's the Navy SEALs, and then there's the SEALs of the SEALs, which is SEAL Team 6. And he's been on over 360 combat missions. And many of his friends uh, died in combat. You don't go on that many missions without seeing a lot of death, without dealing a lot of death, too. And it's kind of a miracle that Dom is able to walk without a limp. I mean, like the fact that this guy had so many near brushes with death. And I asked him, how did you overcome fear? And we talked a little about fight or flight. And he's like, yeah, flight. That's the other four-letter word. That's the other F word. There's no flight. Um, How did you overcome fear when you were looking death literally in the eye so many times? And he said he kept thinking of a scripture. A greater love has no man than this than to lay down his life for his friends. So when he went into scary situations, he was thinking of the people back home that he loved. He was thinking of his niece, who he loved. He was thinking of his uh, maybe future wife or future kids he hadn't met yet. He was thinking of his, his parents, his family, his, his siblings. And love cast out fear. But here's the beautiful thing that Dom did in that moment. As he faced fear in the natural, he brought the word of God into his fear, kept telling himself that, and it conquered. It formed his soul. Uh, someone just, just asked, do you know what really scares me? Demons and evil spirits. Uh, you know, I, I think it was St. John Vianney who had um, a vision of the devil. 
he woke up at night and there was a demon at the foot of his bed, like growling at him. And he said, oh, it's just you. And then he rolled over and went back to sleep. <laughs> uh, I know an exorcist that I consider a friend. And he, he said at the end of a day of exorcisms, he likes to just have a, a scotch. He said, I, I won't allow the devil to deprive me of the normal enjoyment of my life. Because demons want us to be overscrupulous of ourselves and not only fear them as they pound their chests all big, but also fear God in a way that's servile, where is everything I'm doing a sin? Um, sacred scripture does not call us to be terrified of, of, of demons. Yeah, God's calling us to total freedom. So there, there's, there's some scriptures that I want to just plant in your mind right now to answer whatever fear you're going through. And this is uh, the stuff I'm going to write. It's going to follow this outline. And I don't usually do this. I want you to take out a paper and pen. Or, you know, who am I kidding? Most of you, if you're under 20, haven't seen. A pa- pa- paper is a, this is paper, and a pen was a thing we used to have when I was in college where you wrote you dip your quill in ink, and you'd have to write papers. I actually wrote papers in college. Like, I literally I literally wrote papers with my hands. How mind-blowing is that? So anyway, I want you to you can take, up the notes on your, <laughs> take up the notes on your phone, and I want you to write down a few scriptures that will alleviate your fears. That if you're struggling with these fears, I want you to lean into these scriptures. So number one, are you afraid of condemnation? Are you afraid, are, do you have a servile fear of God? And I'm glad I got that question. I want you to write down Ephesians chapter 2. It's all about the love of the Father for you, the love that you didn't earn, that you couldn't earn, even if you tried, and, and how he gives you that free gift of, of your love. Um, <laughs> someone texted, what font is your handwriting? It's Chris font. Okay, so number two, are you afraid of death? Okay, I got some news for you guys. No one gets out alive. We are all going to die. Get used to it. It's part of the deal. And I'm telling you, the preachers that, are, that I've heard on, on TV and radio were like, you know, just believe and, and uh, everything that you're worried about will just go away and that bad medical report won't come through as they expected. Guys, there will come a day when the bad medical report will come and you'll pray it away and it won't go away. It's part of the deal, man. But there's eternal life. I want you to read John chapter 11 how Jesus called Lazarus forth. Now, Jesus solved the death problem in the natural in John chapter 11. However, Lazarus went back and died again. Now, there's people who, who were resurrected in Scripture. I, almost, I can almost see them being kind of bummed, like, dude, I got to die again? <sighs> Most people got to die once. I got to do it twice. All right, so, but, but it shows Jesus' conquering of death. Three, are you afraid of vulnerability? Read John chapter 21 where there's an intimate moment with, with Jesus and Peter, where he says, Peter, do you love me? What a vulnerable moment. So condemnation, Ephesians 2. Death, John 11. Vulnerability, John 21. Are you afraid of getting canceled? Man, we're afraid of cancel culture. I mean, honestly, I, I, I could give a whole show on this and probably should. Even within the church, there's a lot of issues that I can talk about and articulate the truths of the church. If I don't do it just right, if I don't do it with just enough sensitivity and respect, even the thing I started the show with. If I didn't do it just for a tightrope walk, I could have half the bishops in the country try to cancel me. Lord have mercy. Even, so even within the church, the cancel culture has come. There's not a lot of mercy. Read Acts chapter 4. Read Acts chapter 4. Guys, God doesn't call us to be watching our every word. And we have language so we can express things and then clarify what we mean. Within the church, there should be no cancel culture. But opportunities to dialogue. Hey, Chris, did you mean that? Oh, man, maybe I should say that differently. Here's what I mean. 
But to, to live with fear of saying it wrong is not what God's calling us to. And in the end of Acts chapter 4, I love it. Uh, Peter and John are, are told never to teach about Jesus, and, and, and they respond, which is right in your eyes, to listen to God or to you? You be the judges. Hmm. They weren't afraid. Are you afraid of need and want? Read Luke 12. Consider how the lilies grow. I love that one. Or, or think of Exodus. Read Exodus 16. God gave manna fell from heaven each day for people to, to provide for their wants and needs. If you gathered too much of it for the next day, it rotted. And I want you to think of the image of a family who obeyed the command of God and got enough for the day. And they're around their fire outside their tent in the desert, and they're just enjoying the manna. And then the family next door to them who's, dude, gather all the manna. Kids, don't rest. Don't sit down with your dad. No one's laughing. No one's happy. Everybody gather the manna, and it just rotted the next day anyway. Don't be that family. Are you afraid of getting hurt? Read Acts chapter 7, the stoning of St. Stephen. He was killed with stones. I'm not talking about I'm Colorado. I've got to clarify here. And he forgave the people who killed him. He wasn't afraid of the pain because the pain passes quickly, but the eternity is forever. Are you afraid of abandonment? I want you to read Philippians chapter 4. You're afraid that God's abandoning you in your trials? No, no, read Philippians 4. Paul wrote that in his darkest moment when he was in prison, awaiting his execution, and it's all about the joy of the Lord and the victory he has in him. Are you afraid of losing control? John 21, where Jesus continues to talk to Peter and says, someday they will bind you and lead you where you don't want to go. But Jesus is in charge of the story, and it ends well. In eternal glory, read Revelations 21 as well. God will wipe every tear from their eye. Are you afraid of confrontation with other people? Read Mark chapter 5, where Jesus wasn't afraid, putting people out of the house who we disagreed with. Did you write those scriptures down? If not, you can catch us on YouTube. You can catch us on YouTube, right? Replay this slowly. Write them down. As you encounter fear, I need you to answer back. Do what Evagrius of Pontus did. Talk back to the evil. When you live with that fearlessness, I love this, man. Sacred scripture in, 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 the, when, when, in the Beatitudes, the Lord says, blessed. And the word used in Greek is makarios. And that's the word that the Greeks would use to describe their gods. They're makarios. They're so blessed. They're so fortunate. They're they're beyond touching. Nothing in this world bothers them. And then the Greeks started talking about really, 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 really rich people. They're on a yacht somewhere, dude. The world suffering from COVID, they're makarios. They're untouchable. Nothing's bothering those people at all. And then Jesus takes that word, sacred scripture takes that word, if you are poor. If you mourn, if you're meek, if you're hungry for justice, if you're merciful, if you're pure, if you're peacemakers, if you're persecuted, then you're makarios. You're untouchable. Why? Is it because you have no trials? No. You're inserting promises Jesus never made. No, no, no. You're makarios. You're untouchable because if you really have faith that God loves you and that he shows up in the midst of your trials and he's there, then you know that none of that stuff really touches your soul. You've been freed. Fearlessness has freed you. You might experience want, but you're not conquered by fear of want. You live with the kind of freedom that someone who's filthy, stinking rich has. Because just like that person, you're not afraid of want. You live like a king if you're not afraid of persecution. Because you don't care what people think about you. See, a king doesn't care because he has all the power in the world and all the swords pointing outward from his throne. He's defended by the swords. You're defended by not caring by not being conquered by fear. All the Beatitudes, living that path of the Beatitude leads to a path of fearlessness where you are makarios. Also, website, Stefanik 
show.augustininstitute.org. So it's Stefanik Show, S-T-E-F-A-N-I-C-K, dot augustininstitute.org. Every episode is available on there. Go to that page and share it with your friends. It's free. It's outside the paywall. My friends, I love you. It's been a joy being with you. Be not afraid. Man, wasn't that great? Listen, if you don't want to be happy, be sure not to subscribe. But if you want a more joyful life, the kind of life that God created you for, the kind of life Jesus promised when he said, I came to give you life to the full, then make sure you hit subscribe and share this channel with everybody you know.